Please uh, turn, if you will, then, to our text this morning, which comes from 1 Thessalonians. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. We'll be looking at chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. As far as the reading of God's word. Now, when we think of God's redemptive work, what usually comes to mind? When we think of God's redemptive work, what usually comes to mind? We probably think about the incarnation. We think about the life of Christ. We think about the death of Christ, His crucifixion, the resurrection of Christ. Or in our own lives, how do we think of God's redemptive work? Right? Usually it's we think of justification. We think of sanctification. We think of uh, glorification. But what part do we see the preached word having in God's redemptive work? Or do we not see the preached word as having any role in God's redemptive work? Does all a minister do is come and stand up in the pulpit and convey some information that you might find helpful or not? Does a minister just stand up in the pulpit and tell you about what he thinks the Bible is saying? Well, it's in fact this type of thinking that I think has helped to cause the problem of low church attendance on Sunday mornings. It is this type of thinking that the minister just comes here, stands up in the pulpit and just gives you information about what the Bible says that causes people to say, well, oh, today the text is John 3.16. I'm really familiar with that text, so there's no really need for me to come and hear it today. And I've worked really hard all week, so I'll just stay home and sleep in today. Right? It's that type of thinking that allows someone to just skip church. It's that type of thinking that permeates through Christianity that the minister just comes here and gives a, a human message about divine things that allows someone to just go and find the, the, the coolest church that they can find, isn't it? Because, if, of course, if all preaching is, is just a conveying of a, a human message about divine things, then doesn't it make sense that you'd want to go out and find the, the best communicator of those things? The most entertaining one? Isn't that true? But we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, is this how Scripture portrays preaching? Is this how Scripture portrays preaching as just men giving an opinion about a passage? Is this, in fact, what we are told today, how the Thessalonians received the Word? As just Paul conveying to them what he has learned about Christ? Or do they see something far greater taking place? Well, I posit to you that they see something far greater taking place. As Paul says in verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, 
You accepted it. Not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. You see, these saints, brothers and sisters, knew that as the word was preached to them, it was not just Paul giving to them an interesting talk, but in fact, it was the very voice of God speaking to them. It was the very voice of God speaking to them. You see, if we as Christians knew that the voice of God is what met us here on Sunday morning as the Word was preached, and not just a a man coming up to give you some opinion, perhaps church attendance would be much higher. Maybe if we believed that preaching is in fact a redemptive event that takes place on Sunday mornings, people wouldn't dare miss it for a couple extra hours of rest. Isn't this what we've seen when the Lord preached? People would rise up early to hear the Word preached. They would stay up late to hear it preached. They would go hungry to hear it preached. They wanted to hear the Word. They wanted to see Christ act upon the sick and the lame. If today people understand, would understand like so many did in the past, that as the Word of God is proclaimed here, God's voice is being heard. God, in fact, is acting today in the preaching of the Word. That is the way in which God acts. If people understood that today, perhaps they would be happy to come to church and to just sit under the ministry of their local pastor and not try to go around looking for someone fun to listen to. If we believe that the minister, as he proclaims the Word, is accompanied by Christ Himself, we wouldn't dare desire to, to get in the car and drive long and far to find a hip church right? with, a, with maybe another minister who's more exciting when we have a local minister who gives us the very same thing but perhaps not in a fancy and entertaining way. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. Uh, I work down at City Hall. And at City Hall we have eight floors and it takes two flights of steps to get up to each floor. And I work on the fifth floor. And so it is a workout if you want to climb those steps. So let's say I want a drink of water out of the bubbler on the fifth floor. And I step out of my office and I go to take a drink from this bubbler. And the bubbler, it may be old. It may be rusty. It may be ugly bubbler. An old bubbler. But if it distributes cold and refreshing water, why would I ever climb six more flights of steps to get to the eighth floor just because they got the new bubbler up there? A bubbler that gives me the very same water, it distributes the very same cold water that my maybe old and unattractive bubbler on the fifth floor does. Why in the world would I ever leave the fifth floor to go to the eighth? You wouldn't, would you? And is it why is it any different than with the preaching of the Word? If we are receiving the same thing Right? In the preaching of the word from the local pastor, from the fun and exciting pastor, why travel? Why go afar? Right? We go to church to hear the word of God preached, to be fed by God. Right? We don't go to church for a man. We don't go to church because someone preaches in the style that we like. At least you don't if you believe that preaching is a redemptive work of God. If you believe preaching is a redemptive work of God, and if all of redemption is of who? It's of God. Then the preaching of the Word depends on who? God. 
and not the skills of your minister. And so this is what we're going to concentrate on in this morning, brothers and sisters. How is preaching a redemptive act of God? And so we're going to break it down to two points, really. The first is that all that takes place in the preaching of the Word is attributable to God. All that takes place in the preaching of the Word is attributable to God. The second is that when the Word is faithfully proclaimed, Christ is present, His voice is what you hear, and He is working amongst His people. When the Word is faithfully proclaimed, Christ is truly present, His voice is what you hear, and it is He who is working amongst His people. So point one, all that occurs in preaching is attributable to God. This is what Paul teaches in the very beginning of verse 13, isn't it? When he says, and we thank God. There's no reason to thank someone if they have done nothing for you. When you walked in this morning, how is it that we, that we greeted one another? We didn't say, oh, Sandy, thank you. Scott, thank you. Oh, Pam, thank you. Is that what we said? I hope not. We look like crazy people. No, we said, hello, good morning, hi, how are you doing? But if someone then, when you walked in, brought you a cookie or a, a cup of coffee, then what was your response? Thank you. Because they did something for you. They gave you something, right? This is no different with what Paul conveys here in verse 13. He says, he thanks God because it is God who has done something. He doesn't thank Thank Timothy for putting together a, a really creative, uh, attention-grabbing sermon that caused these saints to, to receive this word as the word of God, does he? No, he doesn't. He thanks God. Although Timothy might be a great communicator, it's God who Paul thanks. Because Timothy could deliver to you great sermons. But if his sermons were not blessed and accompanied by the word of God, they would be fruitless. They would mean nothing. Remember, this is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, isn't it? Where he's addressing these factions that are taking place uh, in the church in Corinth, where people are putting men on, on pedestals and separating because of it. And what does Paul tell us in chapter 3, verse 5 through 7? He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, brothers and sisters, Apollos and Paul could labor day and night proclaiming the Word. And they could not change one person's heart. They could proclaim the Word day and night and not give one ounce of growth to any of the hearers. As they are mere vessels, they are instruments, they are vehicles used by God to convey His message. And so what is it in using these human instruments that we are told that God does? Well, we are told He has enabled the saints to receive and to hear and to accept the Word. That's what Paul is giving thanks for here. And so Martin Luther puts, uh, says that there's a, a twofold way that God deals with us in preaching. So Luther says there's a twofold way God deals with us in preaching. 
And he says the first way is the outward manifestation of his grace. The outward manifestation of his grace, which is the oral communication of the gospel. This is what the Lord charged the apostles to do in Matthew 28, to go out into the world and to proclaim the word, to teach all that he has commanded. This is what ministers do every week in Sunday morning. They proclaim the word indiscriminately to all who are here, believer and unbeliever alike. But the second way that God deals with us through preaching, Luther says, is through the inward manifestation of grace. The inward manifestation of grace. That is, God's acting upon us by His Spirit, by imparting faith to us. This is why we call uh, preaching a means of grace. Because through the preached word, God blesses His people. So let me give you an example then of each one so so we understand what I'm saying here. Of the outward manifestation of grace and this inward manifestation of grace. So you can turn, if you'd like, to uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 24. This is the the story of the rich man and Lazarus. So you remember, they both die. Uh, The rich man goes to Hades. Uh, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. And so we'll pick up here in verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said then, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Isn't it interesting here that as we read, it says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He doesn't say let them read them. He says, let them hear them. And what is he saying? He's saying, those Jews, every week, sit in the synagogue and they hear the word preached. They hear Moses and the prophets proclaimed to them each and every week. And yet they reject that external manifestation of grace. No matter how much they sit under the word and hear, they reject that those words are about Christ. And no matter how much that word is preached, that external manifestation of grace is not adequate for them to accept that word as being about Christ. As remember, as we just read from Paul in 1 Corinthians, that growth is a matter of what God does, God acting upon us. 
Then let's see an example in Acts 16 of what it is we mean by the internal manifestation of grace. Um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we are told, are traveling around. They're going to, to different regions. And what are they doing? They're proclaiming Christ. And so we can pick up in verse 13 of chapter 16 where we read this. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she, and she prevailed upon us. Right? Or look at Acts 13 quickly with me. Looking at verse uh, 46. Acts chapter 13 verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You see, we are told, many heard. Many rejoiced, but only those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Today, many hear, many say that they have knowledge of God, that they believe in God. But we must understand that one cannot embrace God unless God has first embraced you. This is what we see in our examples from Acts. And so knowing this, we ought to ask ourselves, In light of this, how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, the answer is in the same manner that Paul did. We should constantly be thanking God daily and individually as well as weekly and corporately for all that He has done for us in Christ. He is the one who made opportunity for us to hear the Word. He is the one who opened our eyes to see. He is the one who has softened our hearts to embrace the Word. We believe because He has granted us faith as that message was preached to us. You see, faith and preaching are something that is intertwined, intermingled. This is that redemptive act that I'm speaking about in preaching. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word proclaimed. This is why I'm placing such a heavy and big emphasis upon the hearing in the preaching of the Word today. It's not to devalue or to disparage the reading of the Word. The reading of the Word is very important. Right? We are called to read, our, to read the Word. This is how we, we grow. Right? Uh, this is how we know what the will of God is for our lives. But God, we are told, is especially present and working through the preached Word. It is through the preached Word that He is calling you to faith in Christ. It is through the preached Word that you are growing in conformity to Christ. 
This is why John Calvin can say this. He says, Take away the preaching of the gospel and no faith will remain. Take away the preaching of the gospel and no faith will remain. This is a bold statement, isn't it? But it's said upon the basis of what Scripture tells us. As Calvin sees how uh, redemptive uh, an event the preaching of the Word is. In the preaching and the hearing. This is what causes Paul to thank God for these believers as they receive the Word because Paul can see God executing His plan of redemption through the preached Word and their reception of it as being the very Word of God. As Paul understands, as James tells us in chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes from, down from the Father of lights. And so that is point one. All thanks belongs to God because it is God who gives opportunity to hear the Word. It is God who opens up our hearts like He did with Lydia to receive the Word. And it is God who causes the growth. So God is acting in the preaching of the Word. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It is now the second point that I come to that I hope doesn't cause any confusion amongst anyone here today. So I want you to to hear me out because what I'm saying is, is nothing new, but rather what I'm saying demonstrates a very high view of preaching. Not only by the it is actually, in fact, this high view of preaching, excuse me, as we mentioned earlier, which I think is a decline of a lot of the reason why church attendance has, has fallen drastically. And I don't just put that blame on the congregation, on the hearers. Right? That, that blame really lands squarely upon the ministers as well who proclaim the word because they have failed to teach their congregation this very high view of preaching which we are taught in Scripture. Right? They themselves don't understand and don't have a high view of, of preaching, which is why then their congregations likewise don't have a high view of preaching. And so the second point then is that when the Word is faithfully preached, Christ is truly present, it is His voice you hear, and through it He is working amongst His people. This is the very point that the Thessalonians understood. This is why Paul tells us that when the word was preached, when they heard the word, they received it, not as being a word of man, but what it really was, the very word of God. Now I want to give you something to compare this to so that you can kind of understand what it is I'm saying so I don't be taken to mean something I don't mean. And so I'm going to use uh, the Lord's Supper as an example because we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper Shortly, So this will be a good example for us. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is not a mere memorial. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is not a mere memorial. Yet neither are we turning bread and wine into Christ's body and blood, are we? No, we're not doing that either. Nor is Christ coming down and the elements, the, the bread and the wine, Christ isn't going in, under, and with the elements as, uh, either. He's not in with and under the elements, as the Lutherans might say. See, but as the Reformed, we do believe that the real presence of Christ is with us in the taking of the supper. He is truly present in the taking of the supper. This means that when we partake of the supper, 
When we eat and we drink the bread and the wine, we are partaking of Christ. We are partaking of Christ. This is why Calvin can say, our souls are fed and nourished by the flesh and blood of Christ in the same way that the bread and wine keep and sustain our physical life. As the elements, when we, when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine, they are sustaining our body. They are nourishing and feeding our physical bodies. But in like manner, when we eat the bread and when we drink the wine, Christ's flesh and blood spiritually is sustaining our souls. This means Christ is communing with His people. And so in a similar manner, we can say that there is the real presence of Christ in the preaching of the Word. Right? He communes with His people. Just as we are fed by Christ to our soul in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are fed by Christ to our soul in the preaching of the Word. And think about how preaching was received by its hearers, both of the prophets and the apostles. When they were acting as prophet and apostle of the Lord, speaking on His behalf, how was it received? It was received as if it was God Himself speaking to the people. Isn't this what we hear in John chapter 10 with Jesus and the Good Shepherd? He says, My sheep hear Me and know My voice. It's not that we know the voice of Christ audibly, like, Oh, Jesus has a real deep voice. No. But He's speaking through men, through ministers, His instruments, His conduits by which we partake of Christ. And in doing so, He allows us to hear the voice of Christ coming through these men. Yet, what I'm not saying is that when a minister stands up and he preaches, every word is Christ's. Nor am I saying that inherent in the minister is some power or authority. We know that all power is with God. It is God who just uses men as mere instruments to speak through. All authority is of God. It is His authority which is the basis of our preaching. The minister merely conveys the message. Yet thank God that He has given us ministers to proclaim the message today, isn't it? He hasn't left us by ourselves. He gave people prophets we give people apostles, and now today He gives pastors by which we proclaim the Word of God. He gives us ministers who, whose lips, whose mouth, whose tongue He uses. This is why Christ can say to the apostles when He sent them out to proclaim the Word in Luke chapter 10, verse 16, The one who hears you, hears Me. And the one who rejects you, rejects Me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And so what should this tell us about what our response should be to the preached word? It means we ought to be attentive hearers. We ought to be attentive hearers. Because if we understand that when the minister stands up in the pulpit and he faithfully proclaims the word of God, that it is Christ speaking to us, wouldn't that cause you to cast forth all distraction and pay a special attention to what is being said? So we must be attentive hearers as we come and gather to hear the Word preached. We must be focused on the Word in worship. Yet also it means that we must submit ourselves to the Word that is preached. 
This might be a reason why so many people are unwilling to submit themselves to the authority of their elders. Because they think that it's just a man standing up here saying something to you. That it's just his words. But if we are told by Christ, he who hears you, hears me. It is not merely the words of man, it is the words of Christ. And so to not submit to the authority of the words that are being proclaimed is to reject Christ. It is to deny Christ. And so we must submit ourselves to the Word. Yet, we are not to accept the Word just blindly. We are not to accept the Word blindly. That's not what we're saying. We are called to test the spirits to see if they are of God. We're not to stop thinking. We're to use our brains. We're not to become robots. But if preaching delivers to you a biblical message, it ought to be received for what it is, the very voice of God speaking to you. And it ought to be adhered to. You ought to heed that word and that message. Yet you might ask, well, if Christ is in heaven, how can he be present in the preaching of the word? How can preaching be a redemptive event? Well, it's rather simple. Christ is present and active by the working of his Holy Spirit. Christ is present and active by the working of his Holy Spirit. You see, the minister might get up and might stand and preach from the pulpit, but it is the Holy Spirit who is the internal minister who proclaims the word to us, who makes those words effective to the very hearts of the hearer. It is the Spirit who creates faith in the hearer. It is the Spirit who unites sinner to Christ. It is the Spirit who makes us alive and who grows us through teaching and application. It is the Spirit who is central to this redemptive act of preaching. This is what we're told by Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am here with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The power rests in the action of the Holy Spirit. It is through the preaching of men that God blesses people, yes. But it is He who causes faith. It is He who causes that seed of faith to grow. This is why Paul can say that this word that they have received is at work in you believers here in chapter 3. Because Christ acts through the Word. We are being conformed to Christ as we sit here under the preached Word. That's why it's so hard to understand why someone would willingly withdraw themselves from the weekly gathering of the saints. Because when you do so, you reject the means of grace. When you withdraw yourself, you reject God's blessings. You reject hearing the very voice of God speaking to you and meeting with you. You reject the strengthening of your faith. You reject that assurance of your forgiveness of sins. And on and on and on. We could continue to go. What it is you reject when you decide to skip out on service. This is why I am saying that preaching is a redemptive work. It's a redemptive event. Because it is in the preaching of the Word and the hearing of the Word that Christ communicates Himself to His people. And so I hope this morning we have seen even more the great importance of the preached word. I hope that if you did not have, that you do now have a high theology of 
the preached Word. As it is Christ's voice ringing in your ears. It is Christ who by His Spirit is active and present amongst the saints. And although it be the Spirit working in us, it is no less Christ. It's no less Christ. As Christ instituted preaching for a purpose, that purpose was to communicate with His people. It was to act redemptively in our lives. And that is all the work of God, not the minister. For God has called us. He has called men to proclaim the Word. He has in prior time, and He could continue today, call a donkey if He wanted to, to proclaim the Word. But He has called men, feeble men, called by the church to proclaim His Word for their benefit and for His glory. And so let us always be a people who are giving thanks to God, for it is He who has caused us to hear the voice of Christ, to hear the voice of Christ through the preached Word. For it is the work of the Spirit that allows us to hear this in the preaching of the Gospel. And so all thanks, glory, and honor to God. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we... We thank You for Your Word, Your written Word, uh, that we are able to read and that You give us understanding and wisdom with. Yet, Father, today it is Your preached Word and the hearing of the Word that we are giving thanks to You for. For this is the, the means that You have given us as a way for people to hear Your voice and as a means to draw people into Yourself. And so, Father, we pray that You would grant to us a greater understanding of what the preached Word really is, the importance of the preached Word, the importance of sitting under the preached Word and and understanding that it is the very voice of Christ that comes to meet with us and that You might give us that desire to come each week to meet with Him and to be attentive hearers to the Word. And yet, Father, we know all this comes through You, and so it is You we thank. For it is You who give men gifts. It is You who opens ears and hearts and minds. And so, Father, we come before You, and we ask all this in Christ's name we pray. Amen.